Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Andrea. We are bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number 13. Today we have a special guest joining us who we want to save time for, so we're going to skip our usual segments and get right into it. If you would like to submit a question, head over to realmomsreallife.com. Don't forget, all the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. Hello, Andrea. Anything to report today? You know, other than I've decided to kind of randomly launch a course, not too much, but uh, all about balancing hormones. But uh, that's my big announcement. But other than that, everything's about the same old, same old. How about you? Um, pretty much. Again, nothing new is going on. I have some things I'm hoping to start in the future, but it's too it's too new to, to really start announcing. But I did want to remind everyone that your Facebook group is still going on, and we will be keep linking that um, in our show notes. So now I want to introduce our guest. Our guest is Kim Engstrom. She is a counselor local to Chester County, Pennsylvania, who has expanded her reach offering online counseling services. Through her program, she uses cognitive behavioral therapy as well as other techniques to help clients identify and challenge the automatic negative thoughts that up to this point have made them lose control of their emotions. She helps to build skills to cope and adapt to life stressors. I was introduced to Kim because of her more holistic approach to counseling and was drawn to her personal journey with nutrition and mindfulness, which we'll be diving into today. Welcome, Kim. Hi. So tell us a little bit about how you got into counseling. That's a great question. Uh, Probably um, from childhood, I always had an interest in, I'll say, the brain um, or personality or why people did the things that they do. Uh, So I formally studied that in my undergrad as a psychology minor, uh, but never really got into uh, the whole counseling aspect of things until um, I was pregnant with my first child. I think now 22. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Andrea and I have both experienced changes as we have had our first children and the way that we kind of approached life. So I know that you tend to take a little bit more holistic approach to counseling. Can you tell us kind of your story and how you got into that more holistic approach? Sure. Uh, I I think um, it goes back to a time when uh, I was diagnosed or at least thought to have had postpartum depression, and that would have been after the birth of my second child, who's now 19, and I wasn't quite sure even what postpartum depression was or how it, how it presented um, or even how it was affecting my life, except I knew I just didn't feel great or feel the best I could. And through multiple doctors and multiple counselors and multiple medications, um, I, I still didn't feel better. There was still a, a lot going on for me physically and mentally and emotionally, still battling that depression. And I was on four different medications at the time. Uh, so someone referred me to uh, a physician who had a more holistic approach. And one of the first things he did, which no one had ever done before, which I, I just found now, I look back on this and think how strange this was, that no one had ever run blood work. So no one had really looked at what was happening with me uh, internally, you know, through blood tests. 
So that's where we started. And we found uh, at that particular time, a deficiency in my thyroid functioning. And that that was really the catalyst for me deciding to really not, I guess I'll say, abandon ship of the health care system <laughs> that's really a sick care system designed to treat symptoms and, um, and not causes. And that began my quest to look at uh, how else we can, can treat the patient. Great. Thank you for sharing. So... What are some of the things that you have people look for when they first come to you? You, I think you send them back to their doctors, and I know, I know, I know. A friend of mine saw you, and she shared with me some of the things that you had her kind of said. Hey, go back and get this stuff tested. Go to your doctor. Figure out where these levels are. What are the things that you tend to look for? Well, I typically see clients uh, who come to me feeling either anxious or depressed, uh, that, that cycle can go hand in hand. Uh, and one of the first things I'll, I'll ask is, have they had, have they seen a family doctor and, or when was the last time they had a full physical? Uh, I'll look for, uh, symptoms that they're presenting physically and mentally, but also what I want to see are, uh, whether there's any deficiencies happening for them. Typically, uh, vitamin D, uh, vitamin B12, the thyroid functioning I mes- uh, mentioned earlier, and just uh, vitamin C, iron, just basic nutrients in the body, and not only the amounts of them, but how the body is uh, utilizing those nutrients. And it, as you guys know, with food, you know, we're not getting the, the nutrition that we need from our food. We, we attempt to, but we're not getting... Uh, you know, fully what we need from our food. So um, the processing of nutrients in our body is just really important. So I always recommend almost from the first or not second visit that uh, a client uh, see their physician, uh, their medic or their medical provider for a full physical. And then I have a blood panel that I recommend that they get as well. Great. I love that you are incorporating some of the discussion on nutrition on the fact that there are you can eat a really healthy diet and Andrea and I have discussed this before but you know biting it into an apple today is different than it was biting into the same apple but you know quote unquote same apple 30 years ago just because of the depletion of soils and that kind of thing so we're missing out on some of those micronutrients those vitamins and minerals yeah, for sure. Oh, do you mind if I ask a question? Absolutely. Beth? Sorry, I'm going to totally. <laughs> um, so for the blood panel, if you, especially with online services, how do you, do you ever like run into resistance from the family doctors? Because I know for clients that I've sent back to get, you know, specific thyroid tests and things like that, like I can barely get the doctor to run the, a, like a basic thyroid panel at times. And usually you need more information than that. So I'm just so curious how you go about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, it's not always easy as you as you've experienced. Uh, they'll question, you know, who is wanting this work to be done, and why are they wanting the work to be done? And uh, sometimes we have to be careful whether the insurance company will even cover, you know, that that lab work. I'd hate to have my client go and get lab work done and then find out it's not covered. Um, so typically, what I'll do is say that 
link it to what the client is experiencing as far as symptoms. Uh, so with anxiety, uh, we might find, um, you know, fatigue or inability to sleep. We might find brain fog. We might find um, uh, depression, you know, or the cycle of depression and anxiety. And sometimes I've sent a report. I have an article, which I'm happy to get uh, and share with share with you about um, how it's not just the amount of thyroid that, or T4 and T3 is what we're looking at on the thyroid side in the body, but actually how the body converts T4 to T3. And so when you bring that information to the physician, it just might not have been anything that they were aware of before. And like we all probably do, we tend to question something that, you know, we don't have knowledge about. So if you give them that knowledge, they seem to be more, more open to uh, agree to run the test. It's not 100% successful, but at least opens up a conversation. No, that's great. I've definitely done that, provided research. Like I had some celiac once and I was wanted just thyroid, the... Um, um, the antibodies run because celiac and Hashimoto's are linked in the research and the doctor refused to run it, told the patient she shouldn't be seeing me anymore. Yeah. And then I was like, and, and I actually lost her as a client anyways. So I think yeah. I have like such a bad experience with it. Um, the few times. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear though, that you've been working with doctors that are open to it like that. That gives me hope. I love that. So that's <laughs> awesome. I love that you're educating. That's amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and we're not always going to have a 100% success, but it's our, I guess, as practitioners, you know, and it sounds like the type of practitioners you both are, that we might be ahead of our, you know, our time in certain areas, and it is part of our job and our mission to create that awareness, and even when it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't go our way. Uh, it's also good if you can refer your doctor to functional medicine physicians. They're much more open to this type of blood work and this type of discussion and type of conversation. So if you can steer your clients towards functional medicine uh, doctors, unfortunately, not all functional medicine doctors are covered by insurance now. Uh, however, doctor DOs or doctors of osteopathic medicine, they will be more prone to looking at the whole body and, and taking a more functional uh, medicine approach. So that might be a, you know, a way you could steer people. If sure. you're Thank you. Yeah. Up against refusal. <laughs> and I would like to say too that even even if we have a doctor that refuses or declines, the more clients that that physician has that maybe are asking for these panels or keeps getting exposed to it, we shouldn't stop asking because at some point, you know, we need to take charge of our own health. Our, you know, our listeners, you yeah. guys need to take charge of your own health. And if you advocate for things that you think are important, if you agree with, you know, your other providers that may not be your primary physician, you know, it might not be the second or third time that somebody asks, but maybe that fourth time that physician's like, you know what, maybe let me do a little research and see that there might be a little bit here about this. So I do think it's important to have that conversation and kind of get the word more out there about it. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, you said that you see a lot of clients with anxiety and depression. I would love to hear you tell us a little bit about how people can either kind of recognize if 
and I'm going to say, I feel like most of us live in a world of anxiety and depression <laughs> one, one way or another, but how do we recognize either we ourselves need support or our loved ones or our friends or our coworkers? How do we recognize that the levels of anxiety and depression have gotten to the point where we need support? Yeah, ex- excellent question, because depression and anxiety often get misdiagnosed and then as a result of that, incorrectly medicate it. Uh, another case of treating you know, symptoms and not necessarily the cause. And so in some cases, we can actually make the anxiety or depression worse uh, if we're not properly diagnosing it uh, and improperly medicating it. Uh, I think um, one key thing to look at as far as symptoms or diagnosis of anything is that uh, the symptoms last uh, for a regular period of time. Um, they're daily, weekly, and up to you know at least uh, persistent for two to four weeks. So uh, we may all, like you said, experience. Uh, depression from time to time or anxiety from time to time or particularly around a stressful event we might our anxiety might be higher or around a sad event we might our mood might be more depressed but when these symptoms persist day in and day out um, I, the diagnostic statistical manual <laughs> where we get our coding for uh, mental health uh, says two weeks or more uh, but generally, you know, I'm seeing this behavior has been persistent for, um, you know, I look for two to four weeks and then for a period of three months. So somewhere in that 90 day range where the person's uh, mood is affected. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, fatigue, brain fog, uh, irritability, uh, even stomach upset, stomach issues can be tightly related to anxiety, bloating headaches, uh, definitely, uh, change in mood. So you're noticing a change in the person's not only uh, mood, but something different about their personality. They're not the person that, that you, um, you know, that you typically know. Uh, and again, it's that these, this isn't, I, I, I work with a lot of teens. So parents will be concerned that their teen is depressed when really their teen is probably just plain exhausted. <laughs> So as long as you see life in your child, you know, uh, on the weekend or you see life after they've been rested uh, and they're they're not crying day in or day out, then chances are they're probably not depressed. Um, Anxiety is really linked to racing thoughts. So if you seem to uh, notice that a person, um, oh, best way to describe it is I guess just can't get off of something you know they have a general complaint about something that they're really worried about and they're really focused on on a regular basis as as moms we probably have (laughs) multiple things that we're worried and stressed about on a regular basis but if you notice that the person just can't get off of it or uh, no matter what you do to help they're they're just caught up in this this vicious cycle of worry or stress or anxiety, then that's probably something that, you know, we need to take a further look at. And can you also, that was a really, really helpful to, to recognize that you also mentioned your personal experience with postpartum depression or PPD. I feel like a lot of women experience kind of those baby blues after, after baby's born 
how how can we kind of differentiate between the baby blues and postpartum depression? What are things that we should look out for? Yeah, that that's a great question, right? Because after the birth of a baby, we're exhausted. You know, our nutrition is depleted. Uh, we're probably not sleeping well. If we're feeding ourselves and self-care, you know, it really goes out the window when you've got a young child or new baby. So um, uh, you could, you know, definitely present as feeling depressed because of all of those things that we're dealing with uh, after the birth of a child. So where you would want to notice um, whether it's really diagnosable as postpartum depression uh, would be that there's just an overall... Uh, sadness uh, that just won't go away. So again, like what I mentioned with the teens, uh, where, you know, having rest or having help with the baby or, you know, getting a shower, (laughs) uh, you know, or getting out for a walk or the things that could really support your mental health aren't working. And this sadness just is just there 24 seven, then we might need to look at whether the neurotransmitters have been affected. I mean, where should people start in getting support? Should they go to their family doctor and get a blood panel done, or should they come see seek a counselor, someone like you? Where do you think would be most beneficial for them to kind of start off? Well, based on our, our earlier answers about the, the medical care system or seeing their family doctor, I don't know that the family doctor uh, is necessarily versed in being able to specialize in diagnosis of mental health disorders. So it would just be like you mentioned, uh, being an advocate for yourself to know, to not rely fully on just one practitioner, but to have a team, you know, perhaps of, of practitioners that you work with, ones that specialize in certain areas. So in the case of uh, depression, uh, being a, since it is a mood disorder and a mental health diagnosis, then it might be best to start with a counselor. Great, thank you. And hopefully, that mental health practitioner would also be versed in knowing, as myself, in what would need to happen uh, physically, and also in cases where I might need to make a referral to another practitioner. Then you you want to be really careful about that as well. Uh, that I'm making the right referrals around that diagnosis. And when our clients are looking for a mental health practitioner, what questions should they ask? Are there are there questions that they should ask? Oh gosh, that's a great question. So what uh, what I do is offer I offer a 30 minute complimentary uh, meet and greet, if if you will. Uh, for the person to to meet me and talk with me about their concerns. I think counseling is such a personal choice that a lot of times what you're looking for is someone that you just feel comfortable with because you're going to be sharing, uh, who knows, maybe some of your most intimate, uh, you know, and deep, dark secrets with someone. So you really need to feel an element of trust and safety. And sometimes that can only happen in meeting the person, having a conversation with them, and even sometimes over time that trust needs to build. Um, So that's, you know, that's one important thing is, you know, is this mental health practitioner offering you the opportunity to meet them? 
Uh, second, you know, look at what they are trained in. You know, what is their specialty? I think as practitioners, uh, particularly if we're on our own, we, we want to help everyone, right? We want to, I can help everyone with anxiety, come see me. Um, but really, I, I have to, um, I want to fine tune my skills to be able to help a certain population. You know, in your case, maybe moms and postpartum depression is your specialty or where mine is teens and anxiety and families, you know, parents. Um, so really, you know, don't be afraid to ask what does that person specialize in? And if they don't specialize in what you need, find someone who does. It'll make your recovery process much, I think, much quicker, much more effective. Um, the other thing, the other question that comes up a lot is licensure. And I currently am not a licensed practitioner. And that's partly due to the fact that when I did my education in 1995, uh, licensure was not an option for mental health uh, counselors. There were licensed social workers, but not licensed counselors. And since that became available, I had already been uh, practicing in the field about five years, I think around 2000. And I had also, um, I was offered the option to um, grandfather in, but I had just had a new baby <laughs> and also was beginning the process of a separation divorce. So it wasn't an ideal time for me to grandfather into licensure. So I noticed that a, a lot of a lot of people searching for a counselor are looking for someone with a license, meaning that the state has created guidelines and laws that protect that that practitioner, uh, a pra not the practitioner, but protect the person working with that practitioner. And also now insurance panels will also require licensure too. So it's just something to consider when uh, when you're looking for a healthcare professional. You know what are their credentials, uh, whether it's licensure, whether it's education, whether it's supervision, whether it's certifications. You know what have they done? Uh, experience plays a big role, and uh, what have they done to um, support their background and and how they're going to work with you and help you. Right. Makes sense. Absolutely. And I know Andrea and I kind of, we both, are, we're both our licensed physical therapists and nutritional therapy practitioners. So a licensed profession and um, not quite as regulated profession as well. And, and I think though, for me, I was searching for uh, doulas recently and it was for was experience was a really big part of I didn't necessarily care about the background but experience was a big part of it and then the other big yeah. part was did I connect with this person this is someone you're sharing your life with you know or a big moment of your life so I found that that was really crucial in making my decision so I think that those are really helpful things for our, our listeners to look for and my last kind of question is what what should or what would we expect a typical session, you know, whether it's online or in person, I know they might look a little bit differently, but what kind of things would we expect to be doing or not doing or that kind of thing, just so that people that might be a little bit hesitant to seek mental health support, so they know a little bit of what they're kind of getting themselves into. 
So, so what would it look like? You mean in in seeing a counselor and and sort of paint the picture of what that would be like to work yeah. with a mental health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so recently, most recently in the last few weeks, even um, I've been inspired. I've kind of always came from the mental health approach that uh, our mental health is just as important, right, as our physical health and really anything else we take on in our life. And there's always been this maybe preconceived notion that mental health means uh, you have a problem that you can't take care of or you're crazy, right, or you're sick. And... um, I'm really looking for a way to help people uh, feel really good about taking care of their mental health. So I create the space that allows them to really be able to personalize the care that they get. Uh, We work together on a plan. You know, what will this look like uh, for you? How does this fit into your life? And also try to re. Uh, reduce, if not totally get rid of the stigma attached to mental health care. So there is a lot of education and knowledge uh, shared and how I support my my clients. Uh, the online therapy and the walk and talk therapy that I've, I offer through my practice uh, allows people to just be in their own environment, you know, their own living room, their own space where they feel comfortable to share what's going on in their life. And then also the walk and talk, just we're taking a walk. We're having a conversation because for me, mental health care is not only important, but necessary. If your mental health is working properly, the rest of it sort of falls into line. Uh, It it sort of happens, even though the mind and body are are connected, it's the mental health piece that really controls everything else that's going on. So if we've got that, if we're positive about that and we're, uh, we're taking care of that, then a lot of the other things in our life will sort of fit into place around that. Uh, there, I offer my clients lots of different options because not one size fits all. So I think, uh, it, you know, one thing to look for in a counselor is, you know, are you comfortable? Does this counselor's approach fit into your lifestyle? Uh, and fit into your way of thinking and, and the way you look at the world. And, and I really, you know, try to work with each client on that so that we're, we're doing this from their perspective, not just my perspective. Thank you. Andrew, sure. do, you, do you have any questions or anything that you'd like to ask or add? I mean, this has been great and really, really informative. I just wanted to ask if there's just one thing that you wish everybody could understand or know, I mean, either about their mental health or just life in general, what would it be? Oh, gosh, one thing. It's very hard to pick pick one thing. Um, But I guess we've a lot of the things we've already talked uh, about so far is not being afraid to advocate for yourself uh, and not being afraid to trust your gut. Because I think sometimes we get caught up and we we don't know what questions to ask. We trust our practitioners to be doing the right thing. So make your your mental health care and even self-care, just make that a priority for yourself. And 
and not be afraid, you know, to, to just trust what everybody tells you, but to just really be involved in what that self-care piece looks like for you. I love that. That's great. Yes. Kim, this has been wonderful having you on. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we sign off? Well, I just want to thank you for having me. Uh, being a mom has just been the most rewarding and amazing experience of my life. And I did get my children off to college. So I anything I can do to support other moms uh, in, in this, this mission that I think is so important and supporting our young people because they're our future. And um, I'm so glad that you gave me this opportunity and whatever way I can support both of you and what you're doing, uh, we're all in this together. So super exciting. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Well, that was such a treat to have Kim on today. We learned all about getting some additional blood work to help us support our mental health and figure out what kind of nutrient imbalances we might have, what things that we can look for in ourselves and our friends and families if we're concerned about anxiety and depression. We learned about what to look for in a mental health practitioner, what questions to come up with and what to expect, and lastly, just how to advocate for ourselves. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more from Kim, head on over to kimengstrom.com. That's K-I-M-E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M.com. Follow Andrea and I on social media for news, updates, and calls for questions. You can find me, Beth, at Beats of Real Eats and Andrea at Life Liberty Health on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com.